0: Live from the Nasdaq market side in New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Steve Grasso, and Pete Nigerian, co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Tonight on Fast, we're tracking the after-hours action. Shares of Nordstrom and Gap, both stocks falling hard right now on earnings. The calls are underway. We'll bring in the very latest from the quarters. Plus, breakout or breakdown, apples on a tear soaring 6% in just the last week. But is there trouble lurking in the charts? We'll lay out where this trade is headed next. And later, the smash and grab crime spree. Retailers ringing the alarm as scenes like this play out across parts of the country. We'll break down what's really at risk for the retail trade and what this could mean for the consumer. We start off with the tech takedown. The Nasdaq finishing in the red today. It is now down nearly 3 percent from an all-time high hit just yesterday morning. High multiple stocks feeling the brunt of the pain for a second straight day. Zoom. Down nearly 15%. DoorDash, DraftKings, CrowdStrike also dropping sharply today. The so called smart money hedge funds adding fuel to this fire. New report out of Goldman Sachs showing that hedge funds are unwinding their exposure to these names and are more tilted to value stocks than they have been since 2015. And it's not just the big guys here getting hit. Check out the poster child of the retail trade, the ARC Innovation ETF. It is down more than 3% today, down 10% over the last month. So, Wall Street's love affair with high-value stocks. Is it finally coming to an end? Guy, what do you say? I don't
1: think it's coming to an end, Mel, but I think this is sort of the, the inevitable outcome of what's been going on over the last couple of months. I actually think it's pretty healthy as well. I mean, we're, we're seeing this rotation. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 is unchanged and slightly higher on the day. That, to me, is pretty encouraging. Some of these high-valuation stocks probably never deserved it in the first place. And to a certain extent, that's me playing Monday morning quarterback I never thought Zoom would get down here. But some of these names, quite frankly, never, never deserved some of the valuations, some of the price levels it got. I think what's going to wind up happening is people will find the names that they should have been finding all along. For example, banks obviously did well today on a day that yields are go higher. Insurers, I think, will do well. I think the big cap pharma can find its way in this area as well. I still think yields are going significantly higher over the rest of the year. If you believe that, then some of these high valuation names will continue to get whacked.
0: How do you interpret what went on in the market today, Tim? Because you can you can look at it from uh, the perspective that we've laid out in terms of tech getting hit, in terms of high valuation stocks being particularly vulnerable. Or you can look at the action from about three o'clock on, 2.30 on and say, you know, there is still a somewhat of a dip buying mentality playing out in the market.
2: Yeah, look, we're we're. 2%, 3% tops off of all-time highs in both the S&P and NASDAQ. Uh, We've talked about how uh, the move in markets has been so extraordinary that a little bit of a pullback here. Let's you know, let's catch our breath and take a deep breath. And it's not that big a deal. In fact, the chart I'd be most worried about is, is that, that semiconductor's chart. So the SMH ETF, uh, which to me has been the leader of this market and, and arguably is certainly the leader of the high multiple stocks, at least of, of the, the, the mega cap stocks or the, the larger stocks. We talk about NVIDIA all the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, Nike, um, Microsoft, You know, you, you name the list of high quality stocks are really just off of all-time highs. Now, if you want to look at the fact that if you go back to that, that Goldman report, um, the fact that Microsoft has moved into you know a top pick um, or one of the top picks overall, maybe you should be more concerned because that report is telling you about yesterday's trade. I'm not sure where it's telling you about tomorrow. The, the weightings in those top stocks uh, are things that could quickly push the market around. Um, it's interesting also, the other point I thought was was more interesting of that Goldman report is that one-third of the positions in these hedge funds that they are compiling the data on contain companies that are trading north of 10 times EV to sales. So these high multiple stocks, in many cases not profitable stocks, that were either them chasing because they missed a lot of this rally um, after outperforming in the first part of the year really lagged. So, again, it's hard to know what to do with data when, in fact, it may be telling you where yesterday's trade was. The bottom line here is if you look at IWM and high growth stocks over the last, say, two weeks, they have actually given something up at a time when you've started to see the bond market and the curve shift around a little bit. That is what you should watch. Until uh, semis fall out of bed, um, I think the market's going to continue to kind of move here. And this is just Yeah, a little bit of a breather after a very big move. High multiple stocks, different story. Not profitable companies, different story.
0: I mean the move in semis, as you highlighted, Tim, has been absolutely torrid. I mean the Philadelphia Semiconductor Index is up about 14% over the past month, Stephen, just a handful of points away from that high. So to Tim's point, we're still up. We're still up there. It hasn't been a huge pullback, and so is that enough for you to say, you know what? Maybe this is not over. Maybe there is still an appetite for some of these areas that are seen as higher value.
3: Yeah. So so I think you're. I think what Tim is is talking about. What Guy is talking about. If you see the rotation into value, it's going to come in the form of financials. If you see it coming out of tech, it's going to come out of Peloton or it's going to come out of Zoom. It's not going to come out of Apple, it's not going to come out of Microsoft, it's not going to come out of Nvidia. So it's the names people know. Do you think when people want to rotate into value, they they're they're really, you know, juiced up about getting into a Dow, a Dow or Uh, Some of the names that I'm long, they don't know those names. So people go back knee jerk reaction to what they know, what they're excited about. So I don't think it's the end of the game for the handful of tech stocks that everyone knows. I think it's the end of the game for the high valued stocks that everyone just found out about in the last year and a half.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to pick on Kathy Wood and what she's done over at ARK, but, I mean, we we had to highlight ARK Innovation and ARK Genomics. Throw that one in, too, because it has been a rough ride over the past month. They are simply symbolic of that retail trade. And what was also amazing about that uh, Goldman report, and we hardly ever highlight reports to this extent, but, Pete, the activity of the retail trader is still very heavy in this market. So as much as you think that they might have withdrawn, they're still in there when it comes to daily active trades. When it comes to call option volume, which has been the benchmark for retail activity, and that tells me they are suffering, weathering, you use the word this from you know this this pullback, uh, whatever we 're seeing from from the past month or so
4: yeah, I, I find it really interesting, Mel, because I wondered when the time was going to come when we really started to go after, not we, but when the markets would start to go after. The high multiple no multiple stocks i you know it was just a matter of time and i think it's a combination of a lot of different things going through this earnings season hearing what so many companies were had to say about what the future looks like and as we navigate through obviously the pandemic and, and a little bit of an escalation recently of of some of the uh, uh... the the vaccine needs out there that are there so i think when you look at all of that Mel, it makes me it really makes me lean back towards you know what we had that pause and we talked about the pause in apple in amazon and a lot of those names that are you know we put into that category of those those huge tech names but wh- why were they not moving? Well, they are now, and we're starting to see a little bit of that. We've seen a nice move out of Amazon and a great move out of Apple off of those low in the 140s all the way up now. It hit 165 just the other day. But you go across the board and you look at that, and then you go back and you look, what was really getting punished today, and not just today, over multiple sessions, even with the NASDAQ going to all- all-time highs just yesterday, you still look over there and you see some of these names that are pulling back, and it's not just a one day. This is multiple days and weeks for some in some cases. When you see the Zooms of the world and and Peloton and all those various names that we we sort of correlated a lot of that, Mel, actually, to the the, the shutdown names. And when we were shut down, yes, a lot of those names absolutely flew to the upside. We still do have the retail trader in there. You're 100% right. I see a lot of option activity that has been moving in the retail side away, not necessarily away from the meme stocks, but moving towards some of the more standard stocks, like what we're seeing in Apple, like what we're seeing in a lot of the various names like Facebook, as a matter of fact. Look at how fast they gobbled up Facebook from 313. It got up to 351 in about a two-week span. That tells you a lot about the appetite and where people are right now in terms of trying to navigate the markets and they're trying to find the right kinds of stocks that will work as we get towards the end of the year in the early part of 2022
0: should we be worried about the retail investor guy and i don't want to have a conversation where we sound all condescending or you know i don't know um i, I don't even know what the word would be uh because <laughs> they know what they're doing obviously down, yeah. yeah they know what they're doing but at the same time for a lot of them then they came across some pretty quick wealth by being in some of these stocks and they're riding their first wave lower and it's probably not that comfortable And it's not just stocks it's also crypto
1: no question about it. i don't think you're doing that at all and i think collectively we've given them a lot of credit and we should i think they've learned to navigate markets and look we might be on the precipice of something that a lot of people haven't seen in quite some time i'm not suggesting we are and i think they'll figure it out i think what we've learned from the retail trader is they're very adaptable and they're quite frankly a lot smarter than i think we give them credit for and i think they understand some of the things we talk about and get granular about, convexity and optionality and those things, a lot better than people that actually get paid to do it for a living. So should we be worried? I don't think we should necessarily be worried. I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they navigate this if, in fact, we are on the precipice of something.
0: Yeah, and I, and I asked the question, Tim, because... The retail investor, even at the margins, helped the stock market go higher. I mean, that—that's that was the amazing thing about the the increased participation of the retail investor. You had large banks finally sure. acknowledging that it is a force in the market. It's not just large institutions. And so, if we are going to see any kind of a breakdown in a tech trade, which they were so hopped up on, um, should we be worried about the retail investor pulling out and therefore putting another pressure on the market?
2: I I think the the advocacy for the market, and and so put differently, the disenfranchisement of the retail investor from the pre-crisis to the post-crisis was was tangible, palpable. And, and so noticeable that they've come back. And, and that's been a very important market dynamic. We've also talked about the empowerment of the retail investor through all the information, and the technology that I think is largely available. I, it may not be institutional quality. It, it actually might be institutional quality. But, but I, I think that the key really here is when you start to see markets get to a breaking point, that's where I think we're we're really more talking about just the dynamics of all investors. I think you get to a place where emotionally um, there are positions that uh, if you can't go to bed at night with a good stomach or a clear conscience, it's usually where you're going to see some follow through. What I would say is from the hedge fund community back to this report, it's noticeable also that short interest is at levels that I think, is, is well, it's, been, it's noted. It's, it's about as low as since they've started measuring this data. Some of this has a lot to do with the retail investor. I think this has a lot to do with fear of institutional investors uh, being on the short side of trades that, that you know, maybe they, they weren't going to be comfortable even if the fundamentals were in their favor. So that's something to watch because I think as you start to see more pain uh, more broadly, but the retail investor certainly feels that pain, you might see a bold move by institutions to the short side.
0: You know, it's been a very unusual cycle. And so, Steve, what what are your thoughts on whether or not we see seasonality here, a lift into the end of the year, or whether that's just a thing of the past, at least for this year?
3: Well, it was a thing of the past when we we all thought, I I, I thought that we would pull back seasonality-wise in October when we usually pull back. It was a blip, and then we started to run a little bit earlier. I do think we will still have that run-up, into uh, year-end, and I think that people are, gonna, are still flush with cash. They're tripping over themselves to buy gifts. They're having a quasi-normal uh, holiday environment. They haven't had that in multiple years. So I think we'll still see strength in the consumer, in the market, but I do think, uh, Guy alluded to it, I do think we're going to have trouble in the, in the first quarter of, of 22, because I think there's going to be nothing to look forward to. You're going to have peak margins. Anyone who's got uh, the pricing power should have gross margins that just blew out right into, right into Christmas because of the supply chain issues. And I think you're going to start, going to, start to see the weakness in a lot of these companies uh, getting through that first quarter. So I think the tops will be in, maybe not next week, but
0: uh, in the next month or so. All right. Well, one stock bucking the breakdown is Apple. The tech titan is up nearly six and a half percent in just the last week. So is Apple headed higher from here or is it only a matter of time before it joins the rest of the tech wreck? Let's go off the charts with inside edge capital management partner, Todd Gordon. Todd, what are you looking at?
5: Hey guys, how are you? Uh, Apple, why not? Uh, we like it. Uh, it's about 7% of our growth portfolio, 2.5% of the dividend. Uh, if you take a look at the first chart, uh, now the weekly, uh, we really need to get above, uh, sort of this 161 level. Uh, this is a weekly candlestick chart. So if we close above it, uh, sort of this, this upward sloping move that we've seen. So September, of 2020 is over. And what's interesting, though, is though we've seen outperformance in Apple, uh, it's actually been underperforming the S&P and certainly the NASDAQ, the NDX, since August. OK, so just recently we've begun to push higher on the news of a car. Uh, and again, we need to get above 161 to get that moving. Uh, and with this short move higher in uh, rates and inflation, uh, it's challenging the ability for growth to continue to lead higher. Uh, but what I want to throw in front of you guys is... Uh, What if we take Apple and put it over the dollar? We're actually seeing a correlation of Apple and tech and specifically hardware with this increasing interest rate environment with the dollar. So, yeah, I get it. They take 60 percent of their revenues overseas. um, And I think part of the reason we're seeing this, maybe this move into growth. And again, we have broken out growth relative to value is perhaps this dollar strength is acting as a bit of a, a tightener monetary policy, cooling off the inflation we import. And again, those hardware companies that make real money, as you said earlier, um, the, you know, perhaps the input costs that are going into the iPhone, perhaps, which is a 50 percent markup, they make it for 500, sell it for a thousand. A lot of input costs are outside of China, priced in dollars. So perhaps it helps the margins there a little bit.
0: All right, Todd, good to see you. Thanks, Todd Gordon. Here's a question. Is Apple in this market growth or value? Is Apple growth or value? P? Does it matter? Yeah,
4: I don't know that it matters. I mean, I always view, when I look at Apple, I look at Facebook, and I look at some of the other names of Microsoft, and I look at them and I say, you know what? Look at what they generate from a cash flow perspective. Look at what the, where they trade. Yes, they traded a higher P.E. now, Mel, than they once did. But in many cases we're talking about companies that have morphed into something a little different than they might have been as recently as the last couple of years, especially when you look at Microsoft and obviously the move towards cloud, but I would say the same thing about. Apple, as well. It was all about the phone, and then eventually we started moving away from the phone. We started looking at services, we started looking more at wearables, and all of the rest of the things that Apple's been doing. So I think it's just a matter of looking at these companies and saying, you know what, there was a very good pause, and that was something I, I liked hearing Todd talk about that. Because July till almost the beginning of November, the stock basically had paused after making a pretty substantial run in the previous six months before that. And I think that's part of the healthiness of what we're exactly talking about here, which is. We see the different sectors that lead, and then all of a sudden something else comes in place, and then we get a pause. And I don't—I didn't view that negatively. I viewed it as an opportunity for names like Apple and maybe, my, maybe well, particularly Facebook. But Apple Facebook and maybe even throw in Microsoft Amazon whatever but when they started to make a little bit of a move recently we're starting to see a pretty dramatic move to the upside and I think these are all quality names they, they have great cash flows when you look at their the, the bottom line of what they're doing as companies they are never stopping where they are and where they're looking forward to in the future Apple's been talking about this car forever they've stolen from Tesla for a while now and wait we've all been waiting Now we're starting to hear a little bit more and more about this autonomous car and all the rest of the things that Apple might have into the future. So they are not just looking at just the phone. They continue to view outside of the company itself. I think there's a lot of growth there, Mel. I think there's growth there. I think there's growth in Facebook. I can still see it in Microsoft. I think those big fang names still have plenty.
0: All right. Coming up, we're all over the after hours action. Some big retail names Nordstrom and Gap both dropping after reporting earnings. We'll bring you the details next. Plus, a buzzkill on Best Buy. The stock dropping more than 12 percent on the back of earnings for its worst day since March of 2020. We'll tell you how our traders are playing this one. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. to Fast Money. We've got some retail pain in the after-hours session. Nordstrom and Gap both sinking after reporting results. Let's get to Courtney Reagan for the details. Court.
6: Hi, Melissa. Yeah, really messy reports for Nordstrom and Gap, Inc. After so many other retailers actually surprised to the upside this quarter. So Nordstrom really whiffing on earnings by a wide margin due to the higher cost of labor. Revenues beat and gross margin did expand year over year. And the company pointed to fewer markdowns. But Nordstrom rack sales grew 35% from last year, but fell 8% from 2019. Nordstrom department store sales grew 11% year-over-year, 3% from 2019. Inventories for Nordstrom up 13% compared to 2019. And the department store calls out the inventory pulled forward to support early holiday sales, but it still had categories where inventory was too light for the stronger-than-expected demand. Like Nordstrom, Gap Inc. earnings coming up way short of expectations. Supply chain issues with factory closures and port congestion a major issue for Gap Inc. Revenues falling well short too. Gap Inc. says that the constrained inventory levels hurt revenue by eight percentage points, saying essentially it didn't have product to sell when consumers came shopping for it, even though it diverted merchandise to East Coast ports and tried to fly it in ex- instead. All three of the big brands, Old Navy, Gap, Banana Republic, saw year over year comparable sales misses. Gap's full year earnings forecast is also well shy of estimates. Alyssa? All
0: I know is that Gap is 40% off now most things, plus 10% on top of that, which is not a good thing uh, at all for the Gap. Exactly. Um, but Courtney, back to Nordstrom, were they trying to explain that jump in in year on, on pre-pandemic inventories Are they trying to say that they're trying to be smart about the holidays and that all that stuff will be be sold?
6: Yes. So what they were trying to say is, look, that we increased our inventory to try to to sort of satisfy the early holiday shopping demand that we thought that we would see. And we did see some early shopping demand, particularly at the department stores. But there were still some categories. Shoes was one of them in certain areas of shoes where consumers were really wanting certain styles that they couldn't get as much of as, the, the, as they really needed. And then there's a bunch of other issues with Nordstrom Rack and just selling too much merchandise at too low of prices, so almost selling too much inexpensive merchandise there. So there's a lot of mismanagement, it seems here, really, rather than an issue externally with the macroeconomic environment. Yes, there are certainly issues there, but we've seen other retailers, frankly, manage them a little bit better.
0: Yeah, Court. Thanks, Courtney Reagan. Pete, I'll go to you because ahead of these earnings, apparently you bought calls. So I want to know what the expiration is on I these did. calls, and if what, what are you what are you doing with it? I, I'm kicking
4: myself, Mel. I, yeah, I usually don't do this, but co- going into this earnings call, just late in the day, there was some some huge call activity being bought in in this stock, and they were buying out there in January. They were buying the Jan, basically right where the stock was at the time. I think it was the Jan 32 and a half or something like that that they were buying, but. Um, Yeah, those are not going to treat me well unless we get some kind of a bounce. I'll tell you what, when I looked at those numbers, though, they were absolutely as bad as I have ever seen, honestly. When I look at their earnings miss, you look at both sides, the the misses are just huge. Obviously, they have some issues. Margins are a little bit of a problem. And then when you look at the labor shortage and the cost that goes into that, they've just basically whiffed on just about everything, Mel. So, unfortunately... I am not going to do well with those calls. However, I do have a couple of months, so we'll see if they actually come back into play. But I am not expecting that to happen because this was a terrible quarter. And I'm not sure, other than a short squeeze, I don't see what's going to force this stock back up to the upside until they actually can correct what they
2: did about their earnings call. A
0: couple months, you know, it ain't over till it's over. Uh, Tim, what are your thoughts here on Gap or Nordstrom?
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, you know, we talked about Gap last night, uh, down 36% off of those highs. Uh, a lot of uh, low-hanging fruit, I think, was in the stock price. Look, if you look at the, the, the two-year stack or the one-year, however you want to do that, only up 20% on a comp versus 20, uh, up 5% versus 2019, excuse me, minus 5%. Gap minus 10% versus 2019. So uh, some of the question here has been around some of the brands themselves. and And, yes, nice to see that. Uh, Digital sales, online sales are 38 percent of the total. That's up 48 percent. How could it not be? Um, But again, when you look at this company relative to a pre-pandemic, part of this was a restructuring story and and so better footing. uh, But also part of this was a brand reorientation. And was it really catching on? These comps for Gap don't look great uh, and the valuation is not particularly cheap. And the stock had had a great run, but I think off of, uh, again, some of those easy victories. So this looks not easy to even jump into tomorrow.
0: I mean, this makes the, the Macy's of the world, the Dillard's of the world look that much better, Grasso, I would think, in terms of their management yeah, of the supply chain issues.
3: Yeah, it does. And, and you definitely see the difference between a strong retailer and a weak retailer. I, I, I still think that all of retail, you're probably going to get another month or two before they all top out as well. But gap stores, gross margins came, came in better uh, but they, w- they, they fell short of expectations. This is what I was talking about earlier on the show. If, if it's really a supply chain issue, it should have been a supply chain issue, and gross margins should have been stronger. You shouldn't have what you said, cutting, cutting 10% at another 20%. Uh, it, th- that sh- you should have pricing power. Gap stores does not have pricing power, but what I do think the takeaway for me is that TJ Maxx, or raw stores, they they benefit from having that supply glut. And if we see that there's supply actually coming on now, which it looks like there, there is supply coming on now, those stocks that have been under pressure should be bouncing.
0: Well, do not miss Mad Money. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Of course, Jim will be talking with the CEO of Gap on the back of earnings. Catch the full exclusive interview coming up at 6 p.m. Eastern time. And Jim made some big moves in retail today. He bought one mall-based name heading into the holiday season. You can read all about it in today's CNBC Investing Club newsletter. Coming up, fresh fallout from the Robin Hood hack attack, the stock under pressure again today. The details and how our traders are navigating this name. But first, smash and grab thefts hitting retailers across parts of the country. And now two big names are sounding the alarm they talked about in their conference calls, how this could impact investors. The details are next. You're watching Fast 20 live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a buzzkill on Best Buy, the stock dropping more than 12% on the back of earnings. But something happened on Best Buy's conference call this morning that caught our attention, more specifically Karen Feinerman's attention. She texted me this morning about this. CEO Corey Berry saying, We are definitely seeing more and more organized retail crime and incidents of shrink in our location she went on to say you can see that pressure in our financials and more importantly you can see that pressure on our associates we heard similar commentary from target when reported last week Karen's not on the desk, of course, tonight, but she's saying that this could point to a labor crunch, adding pressure to retail as retailers are, are really trying to ramp up their staffing going to the holidays. The thought that crossed my mind also was maybe the consumer's feeling a little bit of pressure. I mean, they're feeling certainly inflationary pressures, which Secretary Yellen had acknowledged yesterday in closing Bell Guy. And so maybe, you know, crime usually rises when there's economic trouble.
1: Yeah, no question about it. I think that's clearly that's part of it. I also think part of it is the fact that. You know, maybe these stores are just understaffed, and that's just what happens in this type of environment. I don't know. You know, I, I, I'm not going to sort of go out on a limb and try to figure it out. What I will say, though, is Best Buy has been a monster. I mean, that stock was making an all-time high a couple days ago at 142. Yes, you mentioned we had this huge move down today. But if you look real quick, from August until recently, it was in this 105 to 120 range, traded really well in between, building a base, broke out to the upside, obviously traded off today, but look at the quarter. EPS beat. Operating margins beat. Inventories may be a little ahead of themselves, but I think you're going to see people start to get back in this name between this 110 and 120 level. I mean, Best Buy was a monster. I think it's going to be a monster again.
0: I mean, it should be a big holiday season. We, we mentioned these factors because we don't normally talk about these factors in terms of how a stock trades. But labor shortages, if that is one reason behind this, then you think wage inflation. Pressures on wages going higher in order to track the talent that you need, or pressure on the consumer, meaning that maybe going into the holiday season, they're feeling a little bit more pain, may not have as much money to spend. So there are a couple of ways that we're looking at it from a purely a trading perspective, Steve.
3: Yeah, I think that you don't have enough workers. Uh, Guy, Guy said this, Karen said it. You don't have enough workers in the in the uh, retail uh, uh, operations, and, and also just remember, we've all been locked up basically just shopping through e-commerce. So you have a lot more people entering the stores, a lot less staff there. I mean, I wouldn't read too much into it, but I do like uh, that level that Guy pointed out. When you look at the recent low and the recent high, the stock has more than uh, retraced about 50%. I would look to enter the stock uh, versus exiting it at this level. I think the 120 level if that holds or thereabouts i think it's actually a good entry point on best buy
0: was this a flush tim for best Buy? i mean do you, does this interest you
2: well i mean steve's talking about the chart it takes you right back to a level where the stock really had been holding and actually had consolidated built a base and was looking for that breakout that it did have i, I just think these comps were were brutally tough and i don't think these numbers were bad so I, it sounds like i'm falling in line with guy and steve i i i, I tell you what at at 14 times they'll earn you know, eleven, eleven, ten, eleven, fifteen, according to the street on uh, twenty-three. I mean, this is a hundred uh, and fifty-dollar stock, and remember. That their total tech is at a double-edged sword. I mean, we got excited about total tech. We got excited about subscription revenue. We got excited about, you know, a new story at Best Buy. That's had something to do with the margin. Again, lower service margins. They also had a slightly more promotional environment. There were more shipping options. There were reasons why gross margins were down 60 bps. Um, I don't know that there are reasons to throw the stock out the window, which they did, although rallied 5% off of those intraday lows and, and effectively closed on the highs. Nothing to get excited about today at Best Buy. Very disappointing day if you're long the stock i'm not um, i do think that stock is very interesting at these levels Pete, hey,
0: did you buy calls going to this quarter
4: <laughs> um i've had some calls in here mel and and it's uh you know they worked out i just didn't get rid of them all i i should have that was my mistake i wasn't disciplined enough going into earnings itself but i'd been in them for a couple of weeks they worked out pretty good but not today the ones that i had left absolutely are basically smoked today i will say this i think those numbers were absolutely extraordinary actually for what they what they reported But obviously there are a couple issues that they have to deal with. And I think Tim or or somebody mentioned, you know, Target and some of these stores, they need some more uh, employees working in there. The labor shortage is an issue. I think that's a huge issue for Best Buy. I'm in there fairly frequently, and I see that there is a lack of people there not only to help you, but also to stop people from this this theft issue that they're dealing with right now, which absolutely does play a factor into the margins. When you consider it costs them $700,000 for every billion dollars in sales, because of theft that becomes a pretty healthy number after a while so i think there are plenty of different ways that they can attack this and be a little bit more aggressive on their end best buy that is where they can continue to be the best buy that we always wanted but i also think this stock has plenty of room to the upside and i'll be definitely looking at it tomorrow
0: Man, pete is all over doing the channel checks in retail land. that's for sure sticking with retail here up next <laughs> okay. twitter teaming up with walmart for a big holiday shopping event We'll tell you about the tech giant's big bet on retail dollars, the first, dark web deals. Robinhood's user data on sale on the dark web. The new fallout from that cyber attack next. Welcome back to Fast Money. We are following new developments this hour on the back of that massive Robinhood hack. Let's get to Eamon Javers with the details. Eamon.
7: Melissa, Robinhood disclosed this hack earlier in the month, and then we started to see reports uh, in the dark web of people offering to sell the data that had been stolen, and it looks like we now have a real one, according to our cybersecurity consultants at Q6. They are seeing an offer being made now to sell this data on the dark web. The hacker, or the the vendor here, is known as XAK, offering the data that was stolen earlier in the month. It's posted on a Russian-language hacker forum called Exploit, that doesn't necessarily guarantee there was a Russian hacker here, but that's where this data was offered for sale. What's being offered here? Well, seven plus million lines uh, are in this database. It includes names and email addresses. The asking price here is over $100,000. We don't know if this is the hacker, him or herself, who's offering this for sale or somebody in a secondary market who's bought this data from the hacker and is now trying to up the price and resell it. But clearly this data is now being offered for sale in the dark web. So if you have a Robinhood account, your email address and name may be in that database that's being vended uh, among bad guys around the world. We talked to Robinhood about this. They said uh, they don't have any comment on this at this point, beyond what they said earlier in the month, Melissa.
0: I'm not sure if you can answer this, Eamon, but it strikes me that $100,000 is not a lot of money for 7 million lines of data yeah. from a database. Um, it, maybe it's 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 the kind of data that needs to be used in conjunction with other data in order to actually, you know, extricate anything important.
7: Yeah. I mean, I think that price tells you two things, right? I mean, it just as in everything, hackers operate according to supply and demand, and there's been so much data stolen uh, that that drives prices down, and some of this has become something of a commodity, right? I mean, you can get a lot of stuff on the dark web. This is just adding to that large pile of stuff. And it also might tell you a little something about what's in the data itself. Uh, we know that there are email addresses and names in there, uh, but if there were uh, credit card numbers, social security numbers, even more detail, uh, maybe you 'd see a higher price point being asked for here by the hacker. But even so, somebody can buy the names and email addresses of uh, potentially millions of Robin Hood customers that 's of some value, but you 're right it 's not a lot.
0: Yeah. Eamon, thanks. Amen Javers. I like I like that explanation, by the way, of data being like a commodity. It's like DRAM. So like there's a glut. Sometimes the prices go down. Micron. Go, you know, it's like that kind of relationship Tim, Tim. You're in hood, aren't you?
2: Well, I'll tell you, my, my options in hood are kind of like Pete's and a couple of these other names. I mean, I, you know, I, to me, this was a story after earnings that I, I thought was really overdone with a very sticky client base. And I, I get where their crypto revenues were. The account growth wasn't all that impressive, but uh, certainly a demographic and a very engaged user base. So let's see. Um, I, I, I do think it, it's almost kind of funny that that based upon what the stock's doing and the overall level of interest from investors in the company, it's kind of in, indicative of the price that 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 data is fetching out there. It's, it's all running in line here. I mean, this has been a disaster. Uh, and this is, again, one of the hot stories that, that right now looks to be uh, needing to figure out a revenue stream, especially if, if there's paying for order flow dynamics that could be headwinds. Um, and ultimately, some of the crypto trading is stuff that we're just not going to see come back. But again, think of this demographic. Think how engaged. I, I think Robinhood's best days are ahead of them.
0: Okay, that's the optimistic way to look at it. But as Tim had mentioned, the, the pessimistic way the glass half empty would be payment for order flow goes away. The retail investor gets burned through crypto and other high-flying stocks. They step back, and Robinhood's best days are behind them. Grosso, where do you stand on, on which side you're on?
3: Well, I, I think you laid it out perfectly, and I, I get what Tim's saying. Um, I, I hear what you're saying, and the stock price reflects what you are saying. So if the, the headwind uh, is the payment from order flow going away, the stock reflects that, that the, the payment of, uh, for order flow is going away. I do agree with Tim, though. It's a, it's a heck of a sticky client base. So that's why people would buy the stock here and take a flyer out on it. I would probably re-up some upside calls here versus actually buying the, the equity itself. But when you look back on it, a name and an email address. Every retail website has my name and email address and everyone else is on this panel. So that is not a big deal. I wouldn't let that be the reason why you're spooked out of the name.
0: All right, coming up. Twitter betting on retail, the company teamed up with Walmart for an online shopping live stream and some huge stars are coming along for the ride including Jason Derulo, guys favorite. We got the details next. Plus shares at Dropbox falling hard this past month, but some options traders are betting on a pop. We've got the details fast when he's back into. Welcome back to Fast Money. Twitter is rolling the dice on retail. The social media company is teaming up with Walmart to host a shopping live stream to kick off Cyber Week. Celebrity musician Jason Derulo is hosting Sunday's event. Users can buy products in real time featured in the live stream through Twitter's Shop tab. So, with this partnership, pay off for Twitter. Let's bring in Saul Bloom, tech investor and former VP of Altamont Capital Partners. Um, Saul, great to have you with us. You're, you're saying that that basically the the dollars made on actual transactions, that's sort of a a sideshow. It's the live stream, right?
8: Yeah, this is a big deal. And first off, thanks for having me. Really happy to be back. And look, Twitter is finally innovating. After 10 years of just stagnating and languishing as a product, they're finally showing an ability to innovate and roll new things out. That's the big deal here. We all know live stream shopping has become a huge thing. It's already taken hold in China. A lot of American brands and companies are looking at it and saying, is this the new big mega trend within e-commerce? And now the platforms, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, are all trying to get in on it. can they participate in this massive megatrend that's happening.
1: If you don't follow follow on Twitter, you should. It's one of those must uh, follow Twitter accounts. I'll ask you this. So the stock Twitter has been a brutal stock to own now over the last six to nine months. Does this finally move the needle, in your opinion? I don't want to play stock market here, but I think this is actually a pretty big deal for them. Yeah,
8: well, I I appreciate the question. And and look, I, I think that for Twitter, the reality is there's the business and the stock. And the stock has really, if you look over the last 10 years, basically treaded water. But when you look at it today, they're finally innovating, as I mentioned. And so when you think about this, it's just one more piece in the puzzle for them. It may not be the one big thing that vaults them into this massive future, but it's a sign of their willingness and their ability to actually ship new product and innovate. And for them, what's been holding them back is frankly the ad monetization. The platform, the ad stack relative to Snap, relative to Facebook has lagged. Direct response advertising for them is a tiny share. They haven't been able to draw signal out of that overall platform, and allow advertisers to make that trade and actually give them that money and give them the uh, the ad spend there. And so for them, as they innovate on new product, what they're going to find is it's going to do two things. Number one, DAU growth. You're going to have creators able to create more engaging, more enriched, high value content on the platform. That's going to keep people reading. It's going to drive new users. And then number two, there's going to be more signal. As people are actually engaging with these new products, you're going to have Advertisers able to actually target more effectively, able to rationalize moving that direct response advertising dollar budget over from other platforms and to Twitter, and that could be really meaningful for the stock long term.
0: So, so what happens if this live stream attracts a lot of viewers? Um, there are a lot of eyeballs associated with it, but it doesn't. There are no transactions, or the transactions are very low. I mean, I'm just wondering what. What will make this sort of thing a success because I don't know if Twitter wants to be in the business of live streaming content and competing with the likes of a YouTube in order to get ads to monetize that live streamed content.
8: Yeah, it's a great question. I think, frankly, for them, it's just going to be about it being a seamless experience. If people come in, if they're engaged, if they're staying on the platform, they're not jumping all over the place to different platforms during it, that's going to be a win. If it's engaging content that keeps people there, keeps people scrolling, if people are tweeting things during it, enjoying the experience, you you mentioned it, but Jason Derulo is going to be on it, it's supposed to be a sort of entertaining experience. And if Twitter can show that they can compete alongside the snaps, the TikToks of the world with this, that's a big deal.
0: All right, Sahil, great to get your analysis on this. Good Thank to you see so you. much Sahil for having Blue. me. And again, you can follow Sahil on Twitter. It is a good, it's a good follow. Um, Pete, what do you say about Twitter? Is this a big deal? <laughs>
4: um, I, think it's, I think it's smart that they're jumping into it, Mel. Whether or not it's a big deal is whether or not they can actually do all the things that he was just mentioning, which is, you know, are they going to get more engaged? Are people going to be as, as involved as he's expecting them to be? If they can get that, then yes, this is something that actually does move the needle slightly. I don't think it's a monstrous uh, type thing, but I do think this actually does bode well for Twitter. And I like the fact that they're willing at least to try this. And they, that's something where I think what they have stumbled for a long time has been they just haven't been able to go out and get that much more innovative than they already have. They're, they've been stagnant for a long time. I think this is at least an opportunity to see where this can go. And if it actually hits and they get engagement and the innovation factor of this whole thing, this really could actually be something fairly big, I think, for Twitter.
0: All right, coming up, why option traders are betting on a bounce for Dropbox will break down that trade. You're watching Fast Money Live from the NASDAQ Market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We're headed to the cloud. Dow uh, more than down more than 6% in the last week as a big tech continues to pull back from its highs. Dropbox, we're talking about. The stock does have an investor day, a week from Turkey Day, and options traders are betting on that to spur a quick comeback for the recent pain. Mike Coe has the action. Mike.
8: Hi, Melissa. So Dropbox traded well over six times its 20-day average call volume, very close to seven times, actually, and calls out pays puts by about 5 to 1, The most active options that we were seeing were the December 26 calls, over 13,900 of those traded for an average of about 51 cents a contract. We did see implied volatility, that is the price of options, and those ones specifically rise sharply on that opening institutional activity. Buyers of those calls are obviously betting that Dropbox could rise above that $26 strike price by at least the 50 cents or so per share that they paid. That would be an increase of over 8% from three weeks from this coming Friday. And as you point out, they do have that investor day coming up December 2nd. I believe they're going to be presenting around midday.
0: All right, Mike, thanks for that. For more options action, tune into the full show. That is next Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Final Trade time, Tim.
2: Thanks for a handful of catalysts, into, including higher interest rates, but cash give back dividends, et cetera. J.P. Morgan, best of breed stock starting to break higher.
0: Grasso.
3: I'm going to look for Sonos to move higher. I'm still a holder in the stock, and I think going into Christmas, product is on the shelf. Sonos. Pete. Well, we
4: started off the show talking about some of the financials. The XLF continues to see huge buyers. I think it's going higher.
0: Guy, you know what day is tomorrow?
1: Please tell me, Melms.
0: It is Hump Day, the day before Turkey Day. There, I I said it. What's your final trade? Gobble, gobble.
1: You said it all show. You said it all show. Prove PRU higher rates. Insurers go up.
0: All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. See you back here tomorrow. Hump Day, day before Turkey Day. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.